Come on, church. Come on, come on. Give it up for Jesus this morning. Come on. Man, it is great to be back here with all of you. I love Sundays. Why is that, church? Sundays are what? Fun days. Amen for that. That we can come together and sing praises to an awesome God and celebrate life change through His Son, Jesus Christ. That we as a church, His church, are living our mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online. We love the fact that we have the technology and the team to engage you this morning with the word of truth. We, I pray that this morning God's word will open up to your heart to something moving in your life today. And if you're new with us, welcome. Welcome, church. Come on, get up. Get up for a guest. We love the fact that you're here today. We love the fact that you came and you want to spend an hour with us hanging out, hearing about this Jesus. Again, if you haven't heard anything this morning, we're all about Jesus in this place. And I hope, yeah, come on, give it up for Jesus again. We're all about Jesus, and our hope is that before you walk out those doors and head into your real life outside these, these walls, that you understand how much God loves you, and that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. His name is Jesus Christ, and he conquered a grave, and he has a new life ready for you if you have not accepted him for yourself. So a couple of things, you know, we have Best Sunday Ever coming up, right? We talked about that this morning already. That's about three weeks away. Anybody excited for that? All right. Have you been praying and handing out those invite cards? Well, about three people. Great job. Come on. You're going to get more when you leave today. You'll get more when you leave today. Um, we want you to continue to reach out and invite people to come be a part of that. And also, Life is Better Connected. Ashley shared that earlier. Small group sign-ups. If you did not get into a small group last week, get out there today and sign up and watch God change your life as you connect with his family and watch him work in your life and the lives of the people around you. Church, this morning we step into a series um, that I'm sure has piqued your interest, maybe. Uh, maybe this week you saw some Facebook posts that they were coming into this series. Maybe you drove in this morning and you saw the sign out front. Or maybe you're looking at the screen behind me and you thought one of three things. One... <clears throat> We're all going to walk out of here in the next three weeks figure out how we can be millionaires. Come on, right? Who hasn't thought about that before? Two, rich might have an ego problem. I mean, for real. I mean, listen, listen. I love being me, but the world doesn't need two of me. Amen? Wait a minute. I set myself up for that. Or three, you thought, great. I got up this morning, got ready, had my coffee, all excited to sing some worship, and now we're going to talk about money. And so as you walked in this morning, you may have grabbed your purse a little bit tighter. Or you saw that and you thought, okay, I'm going to reach back and make sure my wallet right now is in my back, back pocket because you don't know how good our ushers are, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Most people are uncomfortable talking about money. When it comes to money, we're uncomfortable talking about it. And I wonder why, and people wonder why churches, preachers feel it necessary to bring it up. Why do we talk about money? The answer is simple. Jesus. Church, read your Bibles. Come on, say it with me. Read your Bibles. Jesus talks a lot about Money, And if Jesus thinks it's important, we better believe it's important for us to talk about it, too. In fact, I believe 
that we need to have more conversations about this. And you're like, oh, great. I, I thought I liked this church, but maybe not. I believe, here's the thing, I believe as a church we should normalize these conversations about money, finances, and all those kind of things. Because listen, I shared a few weeks ago in this the growing people change conversation that money is one of the greatest influencers in our nation. And I shared that it wasn't a good thing. And because we live in a nation that has such a, an unhealthy culture when it comes about money, and because we have grown up in it and we're surrounded by this culture, it's found its way into the church, Jesus' church. See, if you're new to church and you're like, okay, it's, it's all I've ever known is what people told me outside, outside this world, people are saying stuff about money and finances that are not true according to Scripture. And just like everything we hear in this, hear and do in this life, we need to take it to the Word of God, right, church? Read your Bible. We need to take it to the Word of God and ask God, what does He believe to be true and what does He call us to do? I believe we need to normalize these conversations in a church because no one else is going to speak the truth to you. Everyone outside these walls in this world are going to tell you something that contradicts God's Word. So as is in this series, we're going to step into and addressing our fifth core value. We just went through the This Is Us series, walked through four of them. Today starts a series talking about our fifth. And this is the core value right here. We give, we give because he gave. We give because he gave. This is another one of those adjusted core values that I talked about a few weeks ago that we have been leaking out over the past few months. We give because he gave. Say that with me. We give because we gave. Right. Amen to that. You might have heard the phrase in the past, you can't give, outgive God. You can't outgive God. And that is true. We can't outgive God. There is nothing we can give that would ever surpass a father surrendering his son for us. We can't. But friends, giving is not a competition. Giving is not a competition. Giving is never about one-upping someone or one-up trying to one-up God or trying to find a way to earn favor. Giving back to God is all about obedience to Scripture and our heart's perspective to surrender an area of our lives that we usually try to have the most control over. We give. Let's break this down. We give. That's the posture of our heart, the posture of our lives. That means we are surrendering something that, that we believe that belongs to us. We give because he gave. That is our why. That is why we give, because he gave. He gave his everything. And just like this past series, when we know, when we believe, and when we live our why, lives are changed. And as a church, when we know and live out our why of giving, communities are changed because the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to be moving forward. And that's why we take an offering every single Sunday. We give, we give to the kingdom because we believe the king is going to do something amazing for the kingdom. Amen? But when it comes to giving, everything has to do with our perspective. Our perspective, friends, creates the framework of how we see 
reality. You with me on that? Just this, this morning, five minutes ago, I was having a conversation with someone in the hallway about perspective. Like when we moved here two years ago, we delivered a meal to a family and we're, my, Stephanie and I were following directions to their house, and it put us in the middle of a cornfield. And I was like, oh my word, where are we, and where did we move, right? My, I was all twisted up inside. Guess what? It was Owensville, and we now live in that town. <laughs> Things change, right? We need to fix our perspective. If we're honest Our perspective often distorts reality in many areas of our lives. What is real doesn't change. How we view it does. So in this series, How to Be Rich, we're going to be walking through this together, challenging our perspectives together. And we're going to ask ourselves a very hard question. What does the love of God ask of me? When it comes to our finances, what does the love of God ask of me? See, the goal of the Christian life is not how to get rich. It's how to be rich. And friends, there is a life difference between the two. Because one brings stress, anxiety, and discontentment. The other brings joy and fulfillment in life. You with me on that? All right, let's get into this. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're looking, starting at verse 2 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I mean chapter 6, starting at verse 2. If you grab an orange Bible and went in, you'll find 812, page 812. And we're actually starting at the second part of verse 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can see that's on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles, you can see it's on the screen. But let's start it there. The second part of verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. Let's just stop right here with this one verse. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. See, this one verse, the second part of verse 2 of chapter 6, Paul is tying in two sections of his teaching. He just went through in chapter 5, you go back and read it, and beginning of chapter 6, how to minister to widows, what to do with elders, you know, all those kind of things. How do we, how do we, how do we treat our, el- our elderly family? Uh, family, all those kind of things. He's saying, this is what you should do. Go back and read. You can see these are these things. And then he's also tying in what he's getting ready to teach us next. You with me on that? He says, these are the things that you are to teach and assist on. Let's look at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, they are conceited, not under, understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words and result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think godliness is a means to financial gain. Let's stop there. All that stuff up there, right? The controversy, quarrels, strife, envy, malicious talk, suspicion, you know, corrupt mind. Man, that's the way of the world. That's how the world thinks about money. How it lives. I'm going to get mine, have mine. And then he goes on and says this, robbed of the truth who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And I love that last part of that verse because you know what it does? It punches the prosperity gospel in the face. 
This idea when you, when you give, God's going to overflow and blow you away. Like if I speak it into existence, it's going to happen. I did all this kind of stuff. It's all over the TV evangelist, friends, and that's not true. If I act in this amazing way, God's going to blow me away with all this stuff. No. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. It's verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For the love, money is not evil. The love, the heart's desire, the perspective we have about money leads us to evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now the letter of 1 Timothy was written by a follower of Jesus named Paul. And Paul is writing to his young Padawan, Timothy. Paul was combating some of the false teachers and false teachings that was taking place around the church and in the church. And one of those areas he's combating is this idea about money. And what was happening was the church was buying it, not the church as an organization, church as people. Remember, the church is not this building. This is the church, the building. The church is you. Followers of Jesus Christ, the people were buying into and building this false perspective about money. Verse 9, let's go back and look at this. It says, those who want to get rich, those who want to get rich fall in temptation and to a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Those who want to get rich have unwanted side effects into their lives. Let me say that again. Those who want to get rich have unwanted side effects in their lives. We all know this because we have run into some rich people in our life, and sometimes they're just strange. Like, I see them, I walk into them, and I wonder, okay, were they weird before they got rich? Or do they get rich and were they weird afterwards? I, I don't know. That's just me. Uh, I think a lot of things I probably shouldn't say out loud. Either way, getting rich has its side effects. So we're going to look at two side effects this morning. Side effect number one, get, side effect of getting rich. Rich people live in denial. Rich people often live in denial, which is kind of strange if you ask me. If we look at people, we look at people and think, okay, wow, they're rich. And we ask them, they think, well, I don't think I'm rich. Gallup did a poll several years ago, and then what they came across is the average American thought if a person who makes $150,000 a year is rich. If you make $150,000, you were rich. But they went and asked the people, right? They asked the people who made $150,000 a year to say, hey, are you rich? Guess what they said? No. So they went back and they surveyed people who made $30,000 to $35,000 a year. 
And the people who made $30,000, $35,000 a year said, you know what? I think people who are make $75,000 a year, they're rich. So they went to ask the people who made $75,000 a year, said, hey, do you feel like you're rich? Guess what they said? No, I'm not rich. Actually, several years ago, Money Magazine asked their subscribers what they thought would take to be rich. And the number they came up with was $5 million. Five million. Not one. Not two. Not even if you had $4.5 million in total assets, they would say, I am not rich. Friends, rich people live in denial. Here's the bottom line of this. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. It's kind of how this whole thing works out, how it breaks down. Somewhere, somewhere, there's a magical line that when we cross it, we're rich. But the problem is no one knows where it is. And no one knows where it starts. No one can agree about where it starts because simply rich people live in denial. Tall people admit that they're tall. Short people, most of them admit that they're short. But rich people, they won't or don't admit that they're rich. They walk and live in denial. Side effect number two, side effect number two, rich people are plagued with discontentment. Rich people are plagued with discontentment. Look back at verse six, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I mean, that's crazy, right, that they live in discontentment. We would think that the rich people of this world will have the most, be the most content people of the world. But this is what we don't know. Having stuff creates an appetite to want more stuff. You know what happens when we feed our appetites? We want more. Some of you ate breakfast this morning. Guess what you're going to do at lunch? You're going to feed yourself again. Right? Our appetites, appetites grow, and we feed that. So guess what happens with the rich people, with their appetite? They're going to feed their appetite. They're going to feed themselves. They're going to buy more stuff. They're going to want more stuff. They're going to feel like they need more stuff. They live in discontentment. Listen, listen. We read this into the minds of our children. We do. Has anybody ever heard the book, If You Give a Pig a Pancake? Show me a raise your hand if you know this book. If you have not heard of this book, go read this book. If you give a pig a pancake, what? They're going to want some syrup. And if you give them some syrup, they're going to get all sticky. And if they get all sticky, they're going to want a bath. If they want a bath, they're going to want some bubbles. If they're going to have some bubbles in the bath, they're going to want a toy. And before you know it, boom. We just sold right into our children how to feed their appetites by reading them a book. Rich people are discontent. And sometimes, sometimes rich people, they can become discontent that more stuff, that feeding the appetite comes out simply is this word labeled as an upgrade. Because we all need upgrades, right? 
upgrade, meaning that you have this one thing that works just fine, and you go buy something just like it because it's a newer version. <laughs> That's crazy. That's what rich people do. Remember, remember when, uh, when iPhones came out several years ago, many years ago, that they were the craze, like everybody needed an iPhone. And when the new iPhone came out, Apple created this shortage, and people would wait in line all night long to get the, the new iPhone. You remember that? Anybody do that? No one wants to raise their hand because I'm using it as an illustration, right? And while they're sitting in line, while they're camping out, and they're calling their friends on their iPhone and say, guess what? I'm in line to buy a new iPhone. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's an upgrade. Rich people have so many crazy money things that happen to them all the time. You know what rich people do? They go into a kitchen. They go into a kitchen with a stove, a refrigerator, a microwave, and countertop, and cabinets, and they rip it all out. They rip it all out, and guess what they do? They replace it with a stove, a refrigerator, a microwave, a countertop, and cabinets. Imagine that. Rich people are crazy. You chuckle. Because you can't believe anybody would do such a thing. Maybe you can help me with this phrase. They do crazy things. They're plagued with discontentment. Maybe you can help me with this phrase. You can put that up there and show me on the screen if you would. They go, people, rich people walk into their closet. And they open up the doors wide open. And what do they say? I don't have anywhere. It's funny how you knew that. The truth is, the closet's full of clothes, right? We have clothes for every season. Clothes for, we have clothes for in-between seasons. Some of you are wearing those clothes this morning because we know in Indiana we experience four seasons in one day. It's going to be hot, cold, windy, rainy, sunny. I don't know. Let me just wear everything in layers. So I'm going to go in between season box. I'm going to get those clothes on. Rich people do crazy things. Crazy, crazy things. So let's bring some clarity to this. What is, what is Paul sharing with Timothy? And I think he gives us some insight what to say when it comes to rich, talking to rich people. Look at this and drop down to verse 17. Look at the beginning of this. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. Okay, let me just think about this. Have you think about this. If you had the opportunity to command the rich, what would you say? Think about that right now. If I had the opportunity to command the rich how to spend their wealth, to do with their money, what would you say? Well, let's continue reading. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in their wealth which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let's stop there. He says, do not put their hope in their wealth. Put our hope in God. See what's happening in this first century church, and I believe it's happening in the 21st century church. Christians were shifting their hope. They're shifting their hope to what they had or what they didn't have. 
They were taking off the one who gave them the hope in the first place, Jesus Christ. In fact, earlier we just read it. Paul warned about this deep desire to get rich and how it leads to destruction. And now he's saying, listen, listen, don't migrate your hope. How the love of money to getting rich challenges their entire perspective of what God says to be true in his word. Friends, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ, not our wealth. And this is exactly what Paul is telling these believers. Don't let it migrate. Don't let it shift. This is a command from God to do it. Because when we migrate our hope off of God to our wealth, our perspective changes. The lens in which we look at life changes. The lens in which they saw and the lens we see the world are different. The God's spectacles, seeing things through his truth, are taken off and the world's spectacles are put on and everything changes. We start going through life on the daily going, what blessings? What has God done for me lately? We look around, we have a home, we have a car, we have kids, we have clothing, we have food, and we're like, well, why can't God do this? Our perspective is wrong. We got the world goggles on. We're seeing from all that, go get all you want and then some, and then you can praise God. That's not what the word says. Paul's whole concern with the church, there's a migration of their hope taking place. And he knows if their hope was on their wealth, which is uncertain, they would completely miss what God had done for them and forgot about Jesus Christ and what he did for them and they, they would be fixed on what he wasn't providing. What if I told you, church, that Paul wasn't just talking to the Christians in Ephesus? See, Pastor Timmy was a, as a pastor in Ephesus. Paul wasn't just talking to them. He's talking to you, and he's talking to me. Here's reality. Maybe you've caught this as I was going through some of these ridiculous examples. Um, but here's the truth. Congratulations, church. You are rich. You are rich. Let me explain this. If you make $32,400 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Top 1%. That means out of the possible 4,935,000,000 wage earners in the world, you are richer than 4.8 billion of them. Even if you make $16,000 a year, you're in the top 6% of wage earners in the world. Now listen, I knew the response would be exactly this. I knew when I said if you made $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% wage earners of the world, that no one was going to stop up and say, hallelujah, praise Jesus. I woke up this morning feeling all sorts of sorry for myself. And then I found out that I'm rich. <laughs> Woo! 
It doesn't feel that way, does it? It's not that you're not rich. It's because you don't feel rich. You don't feel rich. And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't miss the rest of the series. Because we're going to walk through the next two weeks of how to feel rich. What it looks like to feel and to have our migration of our hope back to where it belongs on Jesus Christ and what he has called us to do. We need to figure out how to learn. We need to figure out, figure out and learn how to feel rich. Many of us don't feel rich. Many times we look at other people and point to other people and think they're rich. But because our hope has migrated, we bought into the, what the world is selling. We've moved our hope off of God into what we have. And many times you and I walk through denial and we deal with this contentment. And when we live, we live this way in denial and discontentment, man, we no longer live with open hand for what God has given us. We actually grow, hold tighter. We need to keep it. And when it comes to giving back, it makes us feel so uncomfortable. We fight through that process. We forget that we give because he gave. Now let me just point this out in case some of you are feeling like I stepped on your toes this morning or about having nice things or doing remodels in your home and Rich is slamming this this morning. Uh, Paul said at the end of verse 17, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives us for our enjoyment. There is nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong enjoying with the blessings of God poured out in our lives. There isn't. I can remember when I had a childhood friend, I think I shared this a couple years ago, a childhood friend of mine found out that I was going into ministry, and as we're having this conversation about I was going into ministry, he goes, oh, I understand. You took a vow of poverty. I looked behind me and wondered who he was talking to, thinking, what? I don't remember doing that. I don't remember taking a vow of poverty. What are you talking about? In fact, I like watching football on my big screen TV, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thursday night, NFL season kicks off. And I'm just going to throw it out right here, right now. The Dolphins are winning the Super Bowl just every year. The next two weeks, we're going to walk through together. How do we feel rich? Because here's the thing. It's not what we have. According to God, it's what we do, what we have that matters. See, if we look around and desire and wanting and coveting and chase after, man, it's, we're not looking at the blessings we already have. That's the world's way. God tells us something different. It's what we do with what we have that matters. But, and friends, this is a big but, until our perspectives are right, until our hope is moved off our riches and placed squarely on God of all hope, we will 
miss it. I can give you the tools. I can share the scripture with you, what God says. I can give you direction, what our next steps need to be, what it means to feel rich. But if our perspective doesn't change, our heart won't change. And if our heart won't change, what we do with what God has given us won't change. And everything we talk about for the next three weeks will be for nothing. Friends, we are blessed with so much in life. But because we live in a society, in a culture, that getting rich is the goal, being rich rarely crosses our minds. And feeling rich rarely, rarely happens. So what I want to do this week, I want us to memorize one verse. Can you do that with me? Memorize one verse. Every day this week, when your feet hit the ground, I want you to say this verse out loud. I want to challenge you to start challenging your perspective. Instead of moving on, we need to start moving on offense, and then we start building a defense of what's taking place in our heart. I want to give you the weapon of the word. So this week, as we're walking through real life, and we start feeling our hope shifting, migrating to our riches, not in the glory that God has given us, to our bankroll and our possessions, or the lack thereof, man, I want us to say this verse out loud. You with me on that? In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand with me this morning. And we're going to read this out loud together because that's how important it is for you to know and internalize and shift our hope back where it belongs psalm 23 verse 1 ready the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing come on let's say it again the lord is my shepherd i amen eight words friends Eight words that put our hope where it belongs. Eight words that will challenge our perspective. Eight words understanding the God of all creation gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Eight words. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd watches out for his sheep, gives them everything they absolutely need, protects them, guides them, leads them to continue reading Psalm 23. Quiet waters so you can drink and be, oh, come on. And I lack nothing is understanding what the shepherd has given you. See, we're going to move. We're going to normalize these conversations. We're going to put our hope back where it belongs. We're going to try to understand what God has called us to live as his children, as his church, with what he has given us. And friends, so often, we don't want to talk about money. We say, well, time and, time and talents. We're going to do all those kind of things. That's wonderful. But God is very, very clear what to do with our treasures. You with me on that? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, thank you for making it clear. Thank you for Paul speaking through him. Thank you for Timothy and what he was doing and leading his church back 2,000 years ago fighting against the culture 
of understanding what we have belongs to you and what you gave for us to have eternal life fails in comparison what you're asking from us to continue to reach people with a message of hope. Father, we give because you gave. We give because your word calls us to. We give because we want to reach more people in Jesus' name. So I pray, Lord, as we walk through this series that our perspectives will change. We'll see how you want us to see and surrender up which you've called us to surrender up. I know this is a hard one, Lord, for even myself. Coming to Christ at 28 had such a wrong view about money. It got me in so many places that it would never have been if I understood the truth. And Father, I know that I'm not the only one in this room who has, has walked through that or fights through that. So Father, right now, I'm going to call our prayer team up. And if this is a struggle for you, you're fighting, you've been fighting this I'm going to ask you to come forward and talk to our prayer team because I'm sure they've struggled with it too. And maybe they're struggling with you. Pray together. Ask God to rip the grip that this money has on you out of you. together Father I'm so thankful for the wise counsel I've had in my life when it comes to this topic help us normalize these conversations help us understand and see what you'd have us do again we are yours this is your church everything we have belongs to you we are so blessed because the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing it's in Jesus name I pray amen God bless your church have an amazing week